You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. All right, well, let's pray, and we'll get into the Word of God tonight. I'm ready. Are you ready? Ready. Yes, sir. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you again, Lord, just uh, for this opportunity that we have, Father, again, to gather in your name, to gather around the Word of God. Lord, I praise you for technology. I praise you for uh, giving us this ability, Father, for all of us to be able to attend Bible study to hear the word of God. Father, I thank you, Lord, again, that there's no time nor distance in the spirit. And Father, the same Holy Spirit that is here present with me is present with each and every one, wherever they are. And Father, I believe tonight that we're going to be taught. I believe, Father, to receive from your word. I thank you, Father, that you'll use me and anoint me to speak what you desire to say. But Father, I thank you that each and every one will be anointed to hear what you have to say to us and to receive it. And Father, I thank you that we'll all be mindful to not just be hearers of the word, but we will be doers of the word as well. And we thank you for it in advance. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this is week number six on uh, spiritual warfare. And I hope you're uh, able to receive some things from this, and, you know, and uh, I was looking back at my notes and uh, it has been, oh, um, I think three or three or four, four years since I had taught this last at the church on Wednesday night. So it's good to go back and to refresh myself with it and, and to be able to get a hold of these things. But let's turn over to Ephesians chapter six. Ephesians chapter 6, and we'll look there at what Paul said. Uh, you know, and while you're doing that, I'll just say a couple of things that we've been saying every week uh, to keep in front of us, to keep us refreshed on this, and that is this. We must always remember that the real battle with Satan was won at the cross and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. He won the battle for us. So, uh, keep it before you. Keep reminding yourself that Satan is a defeated adversary. He is a defeated enemy, and he's hoping that you don't learn that and learn how to walk in it, but we're, we're two steps ahead of him already. So uh, the other thing is that we, we must approach spiritual warfare from a place of, of having already obtained that victory. Uh, Please remember, you're not trying to get the victory over the devil. You already have the victory. We receive it by faith, and our job is to just enforce that and walk it out on a day-to-day -day basis. But the hard part was done by Jesus. Not to say that the stand of faith is easy and all of that, but uh, the real work was really done by the Lord Jesus and so, as with everything that Jesus bought and paid for, we're not trying to get that. We already have it in the name of Jesus through our salvation, through being born again, and through what Jesus did for us. Now, we've been saying uh, that there are three different aspects to spiritual warfare, and, and they're really in this order, and that is, number one, is taking control of your mind. 
renewing your mind to the word of God. That's where it starts. The second aspect is taking control of your flesh, not letting your flesh dominate you. And I promise you, I know I keep saying this every week, but I promise you, if you will uh, endeavor to do those first two, the third one, and that is dealing with Satan or the enemy, uh, your opportunities to do that will be minimal. And you'll see more about that as we get into some of his tactics uh, tonight. But if you will take control of your mind, crucify your flesh, deal with your flesh, then you leave very little for him to work with. And so that's hugely important. So we see here in Ephesians chapter 6, and we're going to begin in verse 10. I'm going to go ahead and read all of these scriptures, 10 through 18, so that we just take it all in its context. But Paul writing said this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having your uh, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints." And so we began looking last week and taking it line by line and building and just diving into uh, the, the depth, trying to get every bit of the meat off the bone, if you will, from, from these verses. And I'm not going to really cover a whole lot of what we talked about in verse 10, but I do want to emphasize, again, the first word there in verse 10 being finally and, uh, you know, if, again, if you've read through the book of Ephesians, it's an absolutely rich uh, letter filled with revelation. But Paul, apparently, by the Holy Spirit, felt like that this was extremely important to wait to the end to cover. And uh, as I've said to you, the word finally there, it actually means in the Greek language, something that, that I've heard many people say, and I say this myself, if you don't get anything out of what I said before, get this right now. So this is of utmost importance in what Paul was telling us. Now, again, he says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I encourage you to go back and listen to last week's lesson and, and the, the depth of the power of God, the strength of God, the might of God that's been made available to us, spiritually speaking, we are not weak. We are strong in the Lord. Now, in and of ourselves, we're not strong, but I love the fact that he doesn't say be strong in yourself. He says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And then verse uh, 11 says this, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So Paul in saying put on, 
is not really giving us an option. It's not a suggestion. He's, he's very emphatic. It's in the imperative sense, meaning that it's extremely important that we put on the whole armor of God. Now, notice God doesn't put the armor on us. We put the armor on ourselves. It's a decision that we make. And so we have a choice. We can reject what Paul said and, uh, you know, just kind of take it or leave it, be lackadaisical where the armor of God is concerned. Uh, but I think it once you study this out, you'll find out that if you choose not to take on the whole armor of God, uh, you're going to get beat up spiritually, all right? So he says, again, put on the whole armor of God. And what that means literally is put on the whole armor that comes from God. Now, this is God's armor. This is what God equips us with. And so this comes from God. And just like your spiritual life, everything that, you know, like, like uh, uh, Paul said, I believe in the book of Acts, he said in him, or maybe it was Peter, in him we live and move and have our being. And that's got to be our mindset. Our life has to come from him. Um, our, our wisdom, our strength, everything comes from him. And our armor comes from him. And, and just like everything else that we receive from the Lord, we receive this as, as well. Now, we don't earn it. Uh, it comes because of our relationship with God. But Paul wanted us to know that this armor originates in God and is freely bestowed upon those who draw their life and their existence from the Lord. In other words, those that have a relationship with Jesus. Wouldn't it be awful to, to, to live your life as a Christian here in this earth and get to heaven and find out, you know, and you had your brains beat out while you were here, just suffering from one thing after another, and you get to heaven and God, uh, you know, says, I love you, I'm glad you're here, but you, you could have put on my armor and been able to defend from a lot of the, the attacks or all of the attacks that the devil tried to bring against you, you could have defeated those. And, you know, I guess what I'm saying is, is I'd rather learn that now on this side than on that side. Okay. All right. So he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. And that word be able or able uh, is the, the Greek word for power. We said that it's what enables us to be able to stand. We stand in the power of God. And I showed you a couple of pictures last week uh, about the, uh, or, or of the, the guards that guard the tomb of the unknown soldier in Washington at Arlington Cemetery, how uh, correct and, and on purpose they are, what they do, they're very focused on. They are, are very diligent about what they do. They, they see it as an extremely high honor. And uh, when Paul was writing this, of course, as I've mentioned to you before, he had the soldier in mind. Now, the, his reference of a soldier would have been the Roman soldier that was guarding him. And uh, so, you know, he, he had that as a point of reference, as this soldier was assigned to guard him, this is the way you are going to have to stand guard over your life. Now I'm going to say something, and I hope you hear it with the heart that I mean it with, and that is this. There's a lot of stuff we tolerate that we don't have to tolerate, Amen. okay? 
And what I mean by that is there's a lot of things that the devil brings to pass in our lives, and just out of ignorance, we tolerate it, we put up with it, and uh, not realizing that we could deal with it, and in the name of Jesus and through God's power and strength, we could put an end to it. Amen? Amen. All right, so again, he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now let's spend some time. I want to talk to you a little bit about that word while, W-I-L-E. Let me ask you a question. Did anybody like me grow up on the Warner Brothers cartoons with uh, Bugs Bunny and the Roadrunner? Who was yeah. the opponent to the Roadrunner? Who was always after the Roadrunner? Do you remember? Wiley Coyote. Wiley Coyote. Now there was a, he was named that on purpose. That word Wiley, that is part of his name, is the same word that is in this verse. And if you'll think back with me, just, you know, just imagine and just remember all the things that the coyote tried to do to capture the roadrunner. You remember he was always buying all that stuff from Acme. You remember everything came from Acme. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he would try and, uh, you know, have a, a, a hole in the, the, the wall or, or something so the roadrunner would run into it and all that. So let's talk about what is what makes up a wild W I L E. What 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 classifies as that? So there's three words that are connected, and they're all connected where spiritual warfare is concerned. And this is what Paul was making reference to when he said we'd be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So three words, and I'm gonna break these down for you. The first one is wiles, W-I-L-E-S. The second one is the word devices, D-E-V-I-C-E-S. And the third word is deception. Wiles, devices, and deception. Now, these are very important words because what we're beginning to see and what the Lord is, is going to reveal to us is some of the methods of operation uh, that the, the enemy uses, that Satan uses in trying to bring uh, defeat into our lives. So let's break this down. Here we go. Number one, the word wiles comes from the Greek word methodos. And let me spell it for you. M-E-T-H-O-D-O-S. Methodos. And it, it it's where we get our word method or methodology. Okay. And I want you to think it through with me. So if we have a method of doing something. Let's say you have a method of how you make your bed, or you have a method of how you wash dishes. Well, when you use that method, you are using that method to get to an end result. You're not just going through the motions with that method. You are using that method because it's tried and true and proven, and it will produce the results that you desire for it to produce. And what's interesting about this word in the Greek language, it means on a road, R-O-A-D, on a road. And what this is telling us is that um, the enemy does not have as many tricks up his sleeve as he would like you to believe that he does. He has very uh, few things that he does. And uh, so when Paul says this, and what he's really saying to us is that the enemy travels one road. And when he's saying that 
you know, the, the young people have a phrase today, you know, that we say sometimes that you need to stay in your lane. Okay. Mm -hmm. Not get involved in everybody else's business, but stay in your lane. Well, you need to understand the devil stays in his lane. What is his lane? Well, his lane is to get to a goal. It's to get to a result. And that is to bring us to the next thing that we're going to talk about. And that's the road that he's headed to. So let's talk about uh, this word devices. Okay. And let's uh, just hold your, your finger there, put a bookmark in Ephesians 6. We're going to come back there. But turn over with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11. So Paul is talking about forgiveness here and talking to the Corinthians. And he says, now whom you forgive anything, I also forgive. For if I indeed have forgiven anything, I have forgiven that one for your sakes in the presence of Christ. Look at verse 11, lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. So Satan has devices. The word devices is the Greek word noamata. It's a compound word, and let me spell it for you. It's N-O-E-M-A-T-A, N-O-E-M-A-T-A. And it, what he's doing is, remember, he's on a road. That's what that methodos means. So what is the road that he's on? What is the destination of that road? And that is this, that noamata means it's the plot of the enemy to fill your mind with confusion. It's the plot of the enemy to fill your mind with confusion. Now, another way that we say this is he plays mind games, mind games. You know, I was watching, and I don't even, it wasn't that great of a movie, but I was watching a movie the other night and the, the villain, the bad guy in the movie was constantly trying to play mind games on people to um, disarm them, if you will, to trick them into believing that he was not the adversary that he was. And uh, that was just one of his strategies. But this is what the devil does. He tries to play mind games with you in order to bring confusion into your life. So what this tells us so far is this that what the devil is after is to influence you and affect you in your thinking, in your mind. Now, I think a lot of times we underestimate the importance of our thinking, the importance of our thought processes, the importance of what goes on in our head. And, and, and we don't understand the importance of it and how, uh, because let me say it to you this way, if it wasn't that important, two things. Number one, God wouldn't tell us to renew our minds. And then secondly, uh, Satan would not be bent on trying to affect your mind and affect your thinking. So what he's trying to do is to play mind games with us and to literally make a playground out of your mind. And unfortunately, there's a lot of people that through ignorance of God's word, 
and just a combination of a whole lot of things such as life experience and training and so forth and so on, uh, that their minds are just a playground for the enemy to bring worry and confusion and agitation and anxiety, all those things that he endeavors to, to bring into our lives. And so what he does is he, he knows that if he can affect your thinking, he will affect you emotionally. And if he can affect your thinking and your emotions, he'll affect your will, your chooser. You remember, your soul is made up of your thinker, your feeler, and your chooser. So what Satan is after is to get you to make decisions that open the door for him to have free access into your life. That's why Paul told us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 5 to take every thought captive. Take every thought captive. In other words, don't let just your mind wander on and go down every rabbit trail that it wants to go on. You weigh every thought, and if it doesn't measure up against the Word of God, then you need to take it captive, pull it down, okay? So we must make a mental decision. A decision starts in your spirit first, but we must make a decision to take charge of your mind. Your mind belongs to you. It doesn't belong to anybody else. And you determine what you think about, how you think, and all of those different aspects of it. Now, I love this. Pastor Rick Renner said this in his book. He said, we must stop listening to ourselves and start speaking to ourselves. So when your mind wants to have contrary thoughts, when your mind wants to go off on that rabbit trail, open your mouth and start speaking to yourself. No, no. We're not doing that in Jesus' name. I'm not allowing my mind to go down that road. When the when your mind wants to tell you all the bad news, the bad reports, everything, it's not going to work out. You're not going to get healed. God's not going to come through for you this time. No, you're going to have to address that. You can't afford to let that play around in your thinking and allow the devil to make your mind into a playground. And so you're going to have to take authority over those thoughts and use your words and pull those thoughts down. So we must speak to our, our thinking, our emotions, uh, and our senses and dictate to them what you believe. All right. Now you have that ability. I have that ability. Jesus gave us that authority to be able to pull that down. So here's what the enemy knows. The devil knows that whoever controls a person's mind also controls that person's health, their emotions, their decisions, and every aspect of their lives. So this is extremely important, all right? So you have wiles, which is that the path, the road that the devil is on. Then you have uh, the second word, which is devices which he's endeavoring to make your mind a playground, play mind games with you. Now, here's what you need to say, and I'm, I'm just prompted in my heart to say this. The reason God wants us over in faith is because faith is spiritual. It is not in the mental realm. Faith comes out of your heart. Faith comes out of your spirit. And if you will stay in faith, it's a realm that Satan can't operate in. Now, if you want to get around and, and wrestle with him in your mind, then he's going to defeat you every time 
because he's an expert in that arena. But spiritually, he doesn't have any access to your spirit. He doesn't have any access to your heart. So God wants us to stay in faith, and that's an arena that the devil can't get involved in. He can't influence that area. Only the Word of God can influence that area. And so what, what happens is if you choose to stay out of the mental arena by pulling those thoughts down, speaking words of faith, then what that does is that shuts the door on that, that, that area of your life from Satan to be able to play mind games. Now, here's the third word, and this is ultimately what he's after, and that word is called deception. Deception, all right? So let's talk about what a deception is. So he he uses wiles, he uses uh, devices, and then he tries to bring you to a place of deception. And deception is this. Deception is when a person believes the lies that the enemy keeps telling you. When a person believes the lies that the enemy keeps telling you. So, you know, just using myself as an example, if I keep telling you something I know is not true, but I keep telling you that in order to deceive you, what I'm trying to do is to try and get you to a place where you'll break down and finally believe what I keep telling you. That's what a deception is, okay? And so that's what the devil is after. And here's the end result that he's after, where that road is endeavoring to take him. And that is this, if you, come, if you just constantly go over the lies that he's telling you, you will eventually begin to believe those things. You know, I, I'll give you a prime example. If you've heard all your life that you're you're never going to amount to anything, that you're a failure, that you, you know, you didn't come up in the right family, you came up on the wrong side of the tracks, whatever the case might be. Uh, if that's what you constantly hear, and that's what you constantly entertain, then eventually you will believe that. And so you might not acknowledge it, you know, verbally all the time, but I guarantee you subconsciously, you are believing, well, you know, there's no point in me trying to do that. I'm just going to fail at it anyway. That's what they always told me. I, I'm, You know, there's no reason for, for me to start a business. You know, nobody in my family ever started a business. And so there's no point in me trying to do it because, you know, I, I probably won't succeed at it. I probably will just fail at it. And see, what has happened is, is that he has assaulted your mind repeatedly with that lie until you finally believed it, okay? So here's why this is especially dangerous. Listen to this. The moment someone begins to accept Satan's lies as truth is the very moment those wicked thoughts and mind games begin to produce the devil's reality in your life. Let me say that again. The moment that someone begins to accept Satan lies, his lies as truth, is the very moment that those wicked thoughts and mind games begin to produce his reality in your life. All right? Now, you need to understand something, okay? 
listen to me carefully. God has put something on the inside of every human being, born again or not, to be able to produce what you believe. Okay? And, and what you need to understand is that when you start accepting lies and believe that they are the truth, then that, that thing on the inside of you goes to work to begin to cause those beliefs to become a reality for you, okay? Now, after we receive Christ and we've been born again, we have the faith of God on the inside of us. So it takes it to a whole different level. But what you need to understand is, is that your belief in those lies and deceptions, if you believe it long enough, it will ultimately be produced in your life. And that's an extremely bad place to be. Now, what I want to do, put your marker there in, in Ephesians 6, as you did already. Let's go back to the Old Testament for a moment. And I want to go to a familiar story that you all know from 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel chapter 17. And, and this is a perfect example of what I'm talking to you about. Okay. And we're going to see how this plays out. And of course, this is the story of Goliath and the Philistines and uh, what Goliath was doing to the armies of Israel, okay? So let's go to 1 Samuel 17 and verse 1. It says this, Now the Philistines gathered their armies together to battle and were gathered at Soko, which belongs to Judah. They encamped between Soko and Azekah in Ephes Damim. And Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together, and they encamped in the valley of Elah and drew up in battle array against the Philistines. The Philistines stood on a mountain on one side, and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side with a valley between them. And a champion went out from the camp of the Philistines named Goliath from Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. He was nine feet, nine inches tall, historians say. And he had a bronze helmet on his head and was armed with a coat of mail. The weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of bronze. That's approximately 100, or excuse me, yeah, 125 pounds. Uh, he had a bronze armor on his legs and bronze javelin between his shoulders. And so... Uh, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his iron spearhead weighed 600 shekels or 16 pounds. So the, the point of his spear weighed 16 pounds, and a shield bearer went before him. So uh, I read a, a thing today that said that all of his armor combined probably weighed between six and 700 pounds. So you got this nine-foot-nine guy standing out there with 600 pounds of armor on him. And it says in verse eight that he stood and cried out to the armies of Israel and said to them, why have you not come out to line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you the servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. 
And the Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now, so you've got this loudmouth Philistine that comes out there every day. Now drop down to verse 16, and it says this, And the Philistine drew near and presented himself 40 days twice a day, in the morning and in the evening. And, and according to the scripture, he said the same thing each time that he appeared before the children of Israel. Now, the reason that this is an exact illustration of what the devil does is because notice the consistency of what Goliath did in taunting the children of Israel. And in doing this for 40 days, what he was able to do was to convince the, the armies of Israel, that what he was saying was the truth. that that and, and literally, they were shaking in their boots, hiding from this giant, okay? So, so he had come at them 40 days, twice a day, and taunted them, all right? So the devil wants to take you captive and destroy you with the same tools Goliath used against the Israelites. Satan wants to ruin your effectiveness with deceptive suggestions and lying allegations. In other words, he plays the same game. And of course, he was the one that was inspiring Goliath, but his method of operation is identical to what Goliath did. And so again, as I said to you, that once that after a period of time, somewhere along the line, the armies of Israel, including Saul, uh, had began to believe these things. And listen, they totally forgot that God was on their side. They totally forgot that God had said, I will fight your battles for you. They had totally forgotten that they had a covenant with God. Goliath and the Philistines did not. Now, it took a 15-year-old boy riding up on the scene uh, and watch what was going on to remind them about their covenant. If you'll recall, you remember when David rolls up on the scene, the first thing he says is, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that defies the armies of God? So David was just totally beside himself on what was going on here. He, he rode up and saw the whole army of Israel, including the king, in terrible fear. He's heard what this giant was saying, the lies, the allegations, the things that he was saying, and, and, and something came on David. It just There was a, a, a righteous anger that came upon him, and he was annoyed that this Goliath would have the gall and the arrogance to come out and defy the armies of God like this. And uh, so you and I have to get to the same place. Do not allow the devil in whatever giant form he takes to walk out in the valley of your life day after day after day after day and continually tell you the same thing to where you get to the point where you finally believe it. 
let something rise up on the inside of you and, and, and let the spirit of God rise up in you and say, no, I am not putting up with this anymore. I'm not having this anymore. Just like David got annoyed and, and just uh, had this righteous anger about him, you're going to have to get to that place. You're going to have to grow annoyed at that. Think about this. How arrogant is the devil who has already been defeated by the Lord Jesus how arrogant he is to think that he can come and harass and taunt and defy you when you are who you are in Christ, when you have a covenant with God that's better than the covenant that David had, the arrogance of that. And listen, you're the only one that can do anything about it. God has already done everything about the devil he's going to do. It's up to you and me in the name of Jesus and with the strength and the might of the power of God to do something about him. Okay. Now, what did David do when he rolled up on the scene? He heard the giant, heard what he was saying, and David did not even give the words that the giant spoke an opportunity to take root in his heart. Notice what David did. Look, go down to uh, verse 45. What did David do? He said, uh, he went out, challenged Goliath, and uh, Goliath taunted him, made fun of him. And it says in verse 45, then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin, all that big time armor, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. Notice what he said. He didn't say you've defiled just the armies. He said, you've defiled God. You've come out and, and harassed God. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you, take your head from you. And this day, I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistine to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth. And all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give you into our hands. So what did David do? The first thing David did before he even uh, began to entertain what the giant was saying, he spoke the word to the giant. Notice, do you? I don't find anywhere in those scriptures where it says David prayed about the giant. Do you? No. It's not there. Okay. David had already done his praying. He did the praying while he was tending the sheep. Okay. What he did is he acted and he spoke what the word said and what needed to be say, said in this moment. Okay. And so, uh, again, David spoke forth his declaration of war against the enemy. And you know how this played out. David ran towards the giant, and, and listen, um, and as I've encouraged you before, read the scripture for yourself. You know, in our Sunday schools growing up, I always, I always thought that it was the stone, the rock that killed Goliath. It wasn't the rock that killed Goliath. All the rock did was stun him, knock him to the ground, and David ran up and jumped on him and took his own sword and killed Goliath and cut his head off. That's what, maybe they were trying to give us the rated G version 
but read the Bible because you get the rated uh, PG-13 version, which, which David takes care of business, all right? He takes care of the giant. And, and again, when the, the whole Philistine army saw what happened to their champion, then uh, they scattered, they ran, and they were defeated, okay? So those are wiles, devices, and deceptions. So don't give place to any of those. Go back to Ephesians with me, please. Ephesians chapter 6 again. And uh, let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Let's take a moment. Let's talk about his name. What does the, the word devil mean? Okay, it's the Greek word diabolos, D-I-A-B-O-L-O-S, diabolos, okay? And what this comes from, it's actually a boxing term, like the sport boxing and what it means is the repetitive action of hitting something again and again and again until it's broken down. And that's what he does. He, he hits and hits and hits and hits until he can find a place of access that he's broken through. Now, listen, he tried this with Jesus. He'll try it with you. Uh, you know, the, the scripture says that uh, in the temptation of the Lord's temptation in the wilderness, the Bible says that, you know, he came at Jesus three times. And then we, you know, again, we, we have this mindset that uh, after uh, Jesus defeated the devil, that the devil went off and left him alone for the rest of his life. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says that the le devil left him for a time until a more opportune time came. Okay. So that wasn't the only temptation that Jesus faced and, and the devil will do the same thing for you. He's going to look for an opportune time, but when he comes, he's like that boxer that just keeps trying to get those punches in, get those punches in, get those punches in because he knows that if he can get enough connected, get enough punches connected He'll eventually cause you to uh, collapse under the pressure of that, okay? Now, again, he's defeated. So what we do is we don't put up with his punches. You stop them, okay? So let's go to verse 12. Again, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Now, let me show you, uh, the word wrestle there is a very interesting word in the Greek language. It is uh, a Greek word that uh, comes from a word called the palestra, P-A-L-E-S-T-R-A. -E now, I'm going to, let me see if I can show you this picture of the palestra, okay? This is a picture of a palestra, and what this is is this is a training ground for people who were in or who were athletes of the day. You you might have seen a little bit of this if if you watched the film Gladiator, uh, where they would train for the gladiator fights and things like this. And what you see here is these people are in this school, if you will, training for boxing, 
wrestling and and all types of sports okay and so you would have instructors that were walking around and and uh, were showing them now there were three types of sports that these guys were training for and uh, again the, it was the boxing the wrestling and uh, then there was the last one which was like the gladiators and and you need to understand that these guys didn't fight according to rules all right. For instance, the boxers, if they were boxing with one another, they did not wear gloves like we wear today. They would wear uh, gloves that would have um, razor blades, sharp instruments, mm. points, things like that. So when they were able to connect with a punch, they were wounding severely their opponent. Now, again, in all three of these uh, types of sports, the end result was either your opponent surrendered or your opponent died. And that was the only way that you could win. There was no 15 rounds. There was no bell. There was no referee to jump in there to stop it. And so, and the same thing was true with the wrestlers. The wrestlers uh, were very, very brutal. They were allowed to wrestle one another, and their goal was to if, try and catch you off guard and break your back in two. And uh, again, trying to immobilize you or even bring you to the point of death. And so all of this is what this word wrestle is about. And these, it's like this, whoever fights the hardest and the meanest and whoever lasts the longest is the winner in these sports. And here's what Paul is telling us. Whoever is the meanest, whoever lasts the longest, and whoever is the winner, or, 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 excuse me, whoever fights the hardest, who fights the meanest, and whoever lasts the longest is the winner in our confrontation with the devil. Okay? Now somebody says, well, I, I didn't think we were supposed to be mean people. You are not supposed to be mean to other people, but you can be mean to your adversary. You can be mean to the devil. Don't cut him any slack, all right? Use the resources that we have available. Because let me tell you something, um, and I love the, the, the scripture. In 2 Corinthians 10, 13, it says that, that uh, when we're tempted, this is my paraphrasation, we're tempted with things that are common to man, okay? In other words, the devil cannot bring something to us. Like he can't go back to his knowledge of spiritual things back when he was an archangel and pull something out that man has never dealt with and, and come at mankind with this. He's limited to use tactics that are common to mankind, temptations that are common to people, all right? So he's limited, but... We have the name of Jesus. Now, I'm going to tell you something. You may not realize this, but there is nothing fair about using the name of Jesus on anybody. In other words, we're unlimited and the devil is limited. There is no limit to the power that is in the name of Jesus because that is the name that's above every name. And what does the scripture say? That at that name, every knee shall bow. Okay. So you need to understand the devil is limited, 
but we are not. We have all kinds of uh, of power, God's power at our uh, availability, okay? So the reason Paul uses this word is he's trying to convey to us that this is an intense conflict that we're waging. This isn't something that's just passive and fly by night. No, you need to understand this is intensive, but it's already been won. Okay. Now we stated earlier that the majority of our spiritual warfare is with the flesh and the mind. Is this a, is this a conflict with this thought? Absolutely not. Okay. So what, what am I saying to you is that we are indeed fighting a spiritual battle, but you need to understand that your soul is the playground where this battle can take place or, or tries to take place. Okay. Now, how do we deal with that? Well, by living a crucified, sanctified life on a continual basis, uh, we're able to neutralize any attack that the enemy would try and bring to our flesh. All right. So you, you cut off, as I said to you at the beginning, you cut off a lot of what he wants to do to you in your flesh. When you're renewing your mind, you're dealing with that arena as well. Okay. So um, in the time that we have left, I'm going to try and quickly cover this. Okay. So that you understand, but let's read verse 12 again, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, I want to say this to you. Understand this. You don't, let me say it another way. Satan uses people, but your battle is not with people. Okay? We're instructed to walk in love and forgiveness towards people but you are, are encouraged to deal with the enemy that's trying to use those people to uh, hurt and harm you in some way, okay? So in, that's why Paul says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against, and then he lists all the spiritual uh, forces. Now, I love this word against. Um. I saw, a, uh, you know, I, I hope you, I don't bother you by uh, using quotes from movies sometimes, but I love the movie, The Karate Kid. And I'm talking about the old 1984 one, okay, with Pat uh, Morita and, and uh, what's his face, the young boy. Uh, and when he's training in karate in that movie, one of the things that Mr. Miyagi tries to get him to focus on and to remember is look your opponent in the eye. Keep your eyes on your opponent's eyes. Okay. And the, you know, having studied this and, and seen that clip not too long ago, that just jumped out to me because when Paul uses that word against in the Greek language, what he's telling us is that it is a forward face-to-face -face encounter that we're dealing with our adversary, okay? Now, again, he's under your feet, all right? But you need to understand, you don't need to hang your head. You don't need to hold your head low. 
You don't need to apologize. None of that type of stuff. Spiritually speaking, you look him eye to eye and deal with him with the word of God. Okay. And, and the name of Jesus. Now, let me talk about these four classifications of spirits that we deal with. Number one are principalities. Number two are powers. Number three are rulers of the darkness of this world. And number four, spiritual wickedness in high places. Okay. These are the four uh, classifications uh, of demonic spirits that we will come in contact with. Okay. And I'm not saying this to try and frighten anybody, uh, but always remember you already have the victory over them. Okay. They are already defeated. Okay. Now, so what are principalities? Uh, principalities, this is the top hierarchy in Satan's kingdom. These are uh, the, the positions um, of power and authority in the kingdom of darkness. They're the highest ranking uh, under Lucifer or Satan himself. Uh, that's principalities. The word powers is, and the reason that word power is used is because the Greek word is exousia, which we get uh, delegated authority from. So this, if you were reading this in the Greek, it would say delegated authority. So the next level are demonic spirits that have some authority delegated to them. These are lower ranking officers, if you will, in, in Satan's army. And, and they're delegated limited amounts of authority to carry out the manner of evil and, and things that they're assigned to do. The rulers of the darkness of this world are the um, mass military force, if you will, in the kingdom of darkness. Uh, they, they have to do with a lot with uh, the rank and file, if you will. These are the, the foot soldiers, okay? And then you have spiritual wickedness in high places, and these are spirits that are sent forth to affect humanity with all manner of bad, vile, vicious, and malignant ways. I mean, just horrible things, okay? That's what their assignment is, all right? So all of these, now notice Paul says, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. We wrestle with all four of these right here. Now, again, we have authority over Satan all the way down in Jesus' name. I don't want you to ever forget that. Don't ever let talking about these things um, incite any kind of fear or anything like that. These forces are real, but through Jesus Christ, his blood, what he's done for you, and the fact that you're a born-again child of God, all of these forces from Satan down are already defeated, and you have authority over them in Jesus' name, okay? So let me ask you a, a question, a, a kind of a rhetorical question as we begin to wrap up. If we have the power and authority of Jesus Christ over all these forces, then why is so much of the church living defeated lives? Why do you think that is? Scared to step out on faith. Say it again, Gail. 
they scared the stuff out on faith. Yeah, we don't act on what we know or believe. Okay, mm -hmm. would you would you agree with me when I make this statement that the church, in a lot of lot of areas, is simply lacking something that they have that we don't? Would you agree with that? Yes, sir. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. Let me go back and let's talk about uh, these classifications real quick. There's three words that that they have. They have discipline, organization, and commitment. Discipline, organization, and commitment. One more time. Demonic spirits have discipline, organization, and commitment. You need to understand they're committed to their cause. Okay. So could it be that a reason, the reason that a lot of believers live in defeat is because we do not operate in discipline, organization, spiritually, and commitment. Okay. I think you would agree with me if you thought that through. So once we match their discipline, organization, and commitment that they possess in their camp, we'll begin to move into awesome demonstrations of God's power. Our lack of commitment and the secret places of our lives that we've never fully surrendered to the Lord keeps us dead in our tracks and opens the door for the enemy to be able to uh, have access into our lives. So on the other hand, when we choose to live holy and surrendered lives, carefully guarding our minds and equipping ourselves with the whole armor of God, we become awesome weapons in the hands of a mighty God. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. All right. Now, I said all that to say, we're going to pick up right here in verse 13 next week, where he says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. And we're going to begin to talk, excuse me, pardon me. We're going to begin to talk about this armor and break it down. And I'm telling you, this is going to make a huge difference for each of us when you begin to understand God's equipment that he's given to us. All right. And that what we can use, what we have access to, to be able to defeat every attack of the enemy. Amen. Amen. All right. Praise God. Well, unfortunately, time flies when you're having fun and I have to stop right there. Okay. Amen. All right. So I hope you're getting something out of this and I believe it's going to help all of us. Amen. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.